0: The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series created by Mercedes Lackey and Steve Libby. Presenting Book 3, World Well Lost, Respect the Wind, Part 2, written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin, read by Veronica again John hadn't had much of a chance to clean up after the fight with the Rebs. His patrol had policed up the bodies, gathered the weapons, and inventoried the still-functioning vehicles before the coroner and a couple of squad cars had arrived. Unter spoke with the police officers, flashing his credentials and giving a quick summary of the events while John, Bear, and Dupier helped the coroners. When it was all said and done, the group still had to wait for another CCC peer to come with a van to transport their red prisoner. John and Pavel, being bikeless, rode in the back with Bowie. Upon arriving back at HQ, John and Bear were very quick to get Bad Bowie settled into the CCCP's only holding cell. The sooner they could occupy themselves with paperwork, the better chance they had of avoiding Savior excoriating them about the Ural. While filing out an after-action report—the second copy, that is—up sleek and clean and as mild-looking as any kitten, tapped on the wooden desk. "'Johnny, you are to being report to holding cell, please.' She glided back out of the room just as quickly, not bothering to elaborate. Baron looked up as John stood to leave. Be sure to ask Georgie where my number one stud shirt is Comrade Murdoch. I have suspicions that he has purloined it for anti-revolutionary treasons. Yeah, I guess there aren't a lot of those floating around the base. Yet, made it myself with iron on transfers. "'Iron burn on back is distinctive!' "'Chuckling, John left the room "'and made his way through the base toward the holding cell. "'The barracks and most of the major facilities within the base "'were nearing completion. "'The living quarters were in passable enough condition "'so that the contingent of CCC peers had a place to sleep and shower. "'There was no air conditioning yet, "'but there wasn't any in his squat either. "'Knocking at the door of the holding cell "'and waiting a heartbeat before entering,' John was certain that this was going to be his talking to for allowing the Ural to be destroyed. As soon as he opened the door, however, he immediately knew that things were going to be much less... interesting. Bad Bowie, the red prisoner taken after the firefight, was sitting in a chair. Both of his wrists were fastened to the chair legs, with built-in leather straps, the same for his ankles. Across a battered metal table sat Unter, pen and pad of paper in hand. The commissar was in the room, and cracking her knuckles, sparks of energy ignited each time she did. It was then that John noticed that Bowie was swarting some new bruises and cuts. Oh, hell. This wasn't a session for John to get smoked by Savior. This was an interrogation, and it didn't look to be of any legal sort. Natalia was the first to speak. Ah! Comrade Murdoch, good of you to join us. Our guest has decided to waive his threat to an attorney. However, he is also refusing to talk. Since you and Georgie were leads for the patrol, it is protocol that you are both being present during questionings. Commissar? John stood in the doorway, a growing sense of unease building up in the pit of his stomach. What is it? This Svenja won't wait all day. We need to persuade him to talk before we turn him over to Amerikansky police authorities for processing. John paused for a long moment. Commissar, I need to speak with you privately. Immediately. Red Savior looked at him coldly, but there was fury in her eyes. She motioned to him to follow her into an adjacent office, empty, save for one flickering fluorescent light. Что? You have objections, Comrade Murdoch. I am Commissar here. I am making decisions. You are carrying them out. It's not democracy. Ain't arguing about chain of command or nothing, Commissar. But this is wrong. Not only that, it's illegal. We can't just beat the hell out of him until he spills the beans. It's unconstitutional. John made sure to keep his tone even. He was still a little shocked by the sudden change of mood, but he was starting to get angry, too. This was exactly the sort of thing he was trying to get away from, some of the worst excesses and abuses that hierarchical power structures engaged in. We just can't do this. And what has capitalistic constitution to do with us? savior's teeth bared in what was not a smile i am needing information to save lives of workers this is only one man good of many comes above coddling one and i am not beating him am using sophisticated technique with electricity and water that leaves few marks john shook his head speaking through grated teeth the constitution's got everything to do with us, Commissar. This ain't Moscow. We got a hold to the rule of law. There are some things that can get bent and even broken, but not when it comes to human rights, damn it. He is criminal. He has no rights. Her glare turned icy. Already you revolt, soft capitalists that you are, spoiled by TVs and Mac burgers. I am Commissar here, You obey, or you leave." John stared back at her, his eyes meeting hers with the same sort of dead intensity. Finally he looked to the door. "'Fine, Commissar, I'll lend my expertise, with your permission.' The commissar showed the barest hints of surprise on her face, before quickly masking it with her usual air of command presence. "'So, you see, Wisdom, there is hope for you.' With a curt nod, she opened the office door, leading John back to the holding cell. Natalia turned her attention to the sullen reb. He met her gaze before snarling in disgust. There was still fight in him, and it was apparent that the commissar was going to fix that. Comrade Murdoch will be assisting us in extracting what we need to know from you, Svinia. Location of Reb hideouts, whereabouts of your leader, Rebel Yell, and so on. Think hard on this information while we prepare. She moved to the corner to the right of the door. A small crate covered with a beat-up cotton tarp caught John's eye. Ripping off the tarp with a flourish, Natalia began to remove items from it and place them on the table. Pliers, a crankfield telephone a job of rubbing alcohol. Bowie eyed each item as the Commissar set them down. You can't fake me out, bitch. I got rats and you can't. Can't, Comrade? I seem to remember reading report. You died in fight with CCC Patrol. Shame. Being a burden blown to racist pieces. Do not remember cops as having rights. Natalia picked up the pliers in one hand, moving toward the Reb. She backhanded him hard. With her strength, it was more than enough to daze him. The commissar began to angle the pliers towards the Reb's mouth before being interrupted by John. Commissar? Xavier stopped right before the pliers were going to clamp around one of the Reb's teeth. Intermench looked up from his writing pad. That's messy. If starts start swallowing blood, he'll just vomit everywhere after a while, too." John paced around the edge of the table, occasionally glancing at Bowie. The biker's attention alternated from the dangerously close flyers and John. "'I got a couple of suggestions, if you don't mind.' "'Please, comrade,' Natalia waved him on. "'Well, easiest is water rewarding. You tie him up on a board with his feet elevated stuff a rag in his mouth, or cover his head in a plastic bag with a small hole over the mouth. Pour water down his head. It's supposed to be simulated drowning. Pretty harsh stuff, but doesn't leave any marks. supposed to knock over even CIA agents, averaging around fourteen seconds before the person cracks. Xavier nodded, considering it. Then, there's the Vietnam. With that field telephone, a couple of trash bags, and a cinder block, we could hook him up, but good. Electrocution sucks. Hell, even do away with a crank phone and get one of our people with the right powers in here. I'll practice and whatnot. The reb was starting to shake, sweat flecking off his brow with each convulsion. John pressed on. If you want to get messy, though, we can just lay some plastic in and get an ice pick. Precise, but he'll bleed out pretty quick. Knives and shivs are better than guns for scaring folks. Not everyone knows what it's like to be shot, but everyone knows how it feels to get cut. We can not even get that knife he was toting his namesake, you know, for extra kicks. Alright, you damn rats, alright. Bowie exploded, on the verge of breaking down into uncontrollable sobs. I'll spell damn it! just don't touch me, I'll talk. Georgie began to write, apparently impassive to the goings-on. Savior's lips stretched into a wolfish smile. So, you are serious Begin talking. John didn't waste any more time. He unfolded his arms, walking out of the room and shutting the door behind him, and found himself grabbed by the shoulder, whipped around, and forced into the wall by one very angry blue woman. What in the hell is going on here? Belladonna hissed at him. And how dare you be a part of it? Bella? Don't Bella me. What gives a torturer the right to use my name as if we were friends? John sighed impatiently. But Bella... He felt a mental smack inside his head as if she was slapping him. Bella! John snarled, walking two steps towards her, forcing her to step back to avoid being run into. Would you get off your righteous rage and listen to me? Or do you want to beat me up? The first would save a lot of time, though the second would probably leave you feeling better. You're either an idiot or a thug, Mr. Murdoch, she snarled. But she backed off just a hair and took her hands off him. I know R.S. is a thug. I've had better of you. And you two have got to be idiots when you know I can pry anything you need out of that creep's skull without resorting to... Bella interrupted her, clamping a hand on her shoulder and another over her mouth. Bella, listen. You hear any screaming? You hear any dull thuds? How about smell? Burnt hair or barbecued skin? He waited until she stopped wriggling in his hands, then lifted them up. Well? No. No, you don't. Because I didn't torture him. More importantly, I didn't let the commissar have at him either. But he's in there singing like a canary. He took a step back, placing his fists on his hips. And the commissar is happy without getting blood all over the place. You want me to explain now? She glowered and nodded curtly. I'm listening. Good. I really wasn't looking forward to bonking you on the head. It'd ruin my cool image, or whatever the hell the kids say. He shook his head. We ain't gonna torture him, though Nat was pretty set on that when I walked in. Torture just don't work, kiddo, though Nat might like to think that it's all visceral and she can affect it that it does. Torture and interrogations under physical duress don't produce good intel. Just about anyone worth their salt in the security agencies knows that. John took a moment to let that sink in taking another step back to lean against the wall opposite of Bella, hooking his thumbs into his pants' pockets. When you put somebody in pain, it's their natural response to make it stop A-S-A-F-P. They'll admit to anything, and feed you any story you want. People will admit to killing Hitler and Jesus Christ just to stop the hurt. I know that. John shrugged despite that, there'll always be dohards that want to try and mess people up anyways, just to see if it'll get some extra info out. I couldn't stop Nat from torturing that guy, not without it coming down to a true blue fight. I could've quit on the spot, but then she'd have gone ahead and cut him anyways. What I did, though, is redirect her. You see, the threat of pain is much more effective in getting someone to crack the actual pain. I went into plenty of detail how we could tune that rev up, and did so where he could hear it and hear how much I didn't care if it hurt him. And it was all BS. You dig what I'm getting at? She looked as if she was going to protest angrily, and then deflated. It's still psychological torture. All I would have had to do would be to touch him. Psychological torture ain't no different than threatening the guy, guilt-tripping him, playing good cop, bad cop, or any other sack trick to get him to talk. And you weren't here. If you'd gone right in when you were here, you would have walked in on a toothless or near toothless punk, with Nat bashed him in the face for not being able to talk past bleeding. He sighed, standing up and stretching. What I did worked. It kept RS from messing up that rub, and not too many laws were broken in the process. She looked away from him and seemed to shrink in on herself. I hate this. I hate this. It's turning us into them. John turned back to face her. You gonna quit? Cowboy up. He squared himself in front of Bella, craning his neck down to bring it to her level. You're Nat's friend. I'm her subordinate. You see the difference in what each of us can do in that framework? John started to move to walk away again. Don't let her see you like that, though. Put on your game face, kiddo. Slowly, she straightened. You're right. She might be a rock. I have to be the water that wears her down into another shape. John tossed a carefree hand over his shoulder. Then meet the friend you are her and do it. He started unzipping his dirty Kevlar vest. Me? I'm getting a shower before I have to heat up the boiler again. You do that. A pause. Thanks. Don't mention it, comrade. And with that, John disappeared around the corner at the end of the hallway. John had just finished his shower in the communal head that the rank and file of the CCCP shared. Even with more comrades having arrived to fill bunks, there were still so few of them that John could manage to shower alone most of the time. Cleaned up and dressed in a pair of surplus fatigues and a black shirt, he settled down in the makeshift wreck area. A few milk crates, a strange assortment of very abused chairs and a couch, and a TV shoved into a corner of the barracks, with a smattering of Russian culture magazines and newspapers laying around. Maybe the biggest difference between the barracks and his squat was was that the barracks were so clean the floors squeaked when you walked on them. Then again, excoriation duty was a lot like punishment detail in the service. You messed up, and you found yourself cleaning with a toothbrush. Attention to detail was everything, and it felt comfortable to John. There were exceptions. The CCCP was Russian, and where it shined with efficiency in some areas, others served to illustrate how painfully cobbled together the group was. Not wanting to ponder on his exchange with Natalia, then Bella afterwards, John flipped on the TV. And in other news, it seems that Atlanta's Red Enclave managed to clean up a pocket of trouble today. The news announcer was one of the same ones he'd seen blathering about the initial arrival of the CCCP in the form of Savior, her father, and workers' champion. A motorcycle gang calling themselves the Rebs attempted to attack one of the neighborhoods cut off by a destruction corridor. A so-called CCCP patrol put an end to that, with no civilian casualties and no property damage. Pretty remarkable, considering that last report about Black Snake, huh, Steve? The other plastic anchor laughed. Well, Stella, boys and their toys, and Black Snake has the best toys around. Can't blame them for wanting to use them. John muted the channel with a smile. Things were changing. They'd likely get a lot worse before they got better. With the Rebs and other gangs stepping up their activities, everyone was waiting for the other shoe to drop. But, for just this moment, things seemed to be a little bit bright at the end of the tunnel. Red Savior was shouting and breaking things again. Fortunately, she never broke anything that was actually useful, but that might have been because the rest of the comrades knew her moods and cleared away anything that might be wanted later, leaving things like the hideous Atlantis souvenirs that people would insist on giving them within her reach at times like this. I am devastated, comrade, but Sabia was in a rage, and... John had just entered the base to clock in for his patrol shift. He could hear her shouting in the rec room all the way from the front door. There was a lot of Russian, but there was some English too. Tesla is a credulous old babushka! Some babbling from crazy men not able to leave bed for twenty years and poof! He is quaking in boots and hiding under sofa! As John neared, he could hear that there were at least two other people with savior. On one hand, Commissar. Some of those things March wrote about have happened, Bella said cautiously. On other, grunted Hunter, is like Nostradamus, is big enough to fit anything. John was right at the rec room door, and there was no way to get into the locker and barracks room without going through it. He hesitated, trying to remember the layout of the HQ so he could find something to occupy himself with until the commissar was finished with her meeting. You are not to be revealing this to comrades until I say so. Maybe never. Savior threw an ugly pottery War of Northern Oppression statuette against the wall, and it shattered five inches from John's head. Are enough old babushkas bushkas enough comrades to believe in necklternity? What is good word? B.S., said Bella. B.S. Prophecies. All the world on fire. Everybody dead came over comrade. Bah! She threw another statue, this one of General Lee looking saintly. John remembered that one in particular. Someone had drawn a felt tip hit hitler-esque mustache on it. Still a little stunned by what he'd just heard, he began to walk woodenly down the hallway. Apparently, he wasn't quiet enough. Who is lurking? Untermensch's bark froze him in place. SHOW YOURSELF! Damn it. John stepped into the room. Not lurking, just on my way to sign on in the duty roster, comrade. Three pairs of eyes skewered him. How much? began Savior when Bella interrupted her. Everything important, Commissar, she grimaced. Sorry I didn't pick him up before he did. Xavier's glare was enough to tell him that the character mug of a rebel soldier was about to impact on or near his forehead. With all due respect, Commissar, there's a difference between listening in and not being able to help hearing. Unter lost a little of his glare as he smothered a grin. Bella shrugged. He's got you there, Commissar. I'm surprised I didn't hear you over at the Piggly Wiggly. Savior turned her glare on Bella, who reacted not at all. You might as well tell him the rest. John slung his jacket over a chair, leaning on the back of it. So the rest of what? Heard something about someone named March, and then a whole lot of not-too-happy sounding things. Comrade sorceress is uncovering idiocy that explains why Tesla is shaking like little girl in front of Bear, Xavier said sourly. Bah, you tell, blue girl. Apparently, immediately after the end of the invasion, an autistic echo precognitive rated between Op 3 and Op 4 got a head full of horrific visions, scribbled everything he saw down, and set himself on fire, Bella said. Some of what he wrote down seems to have been accurate, and more to the point, could not have been predicted by any means other than genuine precognition. The man's name was Matthew March, so in a burst of creativity they've called the stuff the Ides of March. John took in the flurry of information, nodding once. All right, I'll buy it. Now what exactly did he predict? That's the million dollar question, ain't it? that the Nazis are going to win. You die, he dies, everyone dies, and those that don't die wish they had. He chuckled, scratching his head. You're joshing me, right? This can't be serious. It's serious. Tesla won't believe in magic or angels, but he'll believe in precognition, and he believes this. John took a few moments to gauge Bella before speaking again. Y'all really believe this, don't you? He looked to the ground, thinking. Well, all right then. If it's credible, then what are we going to do about it? Because I'm not really the sort to take much lying down, and I don't think y'all are either. He glanced at each of the three in turn. Bella scratched her head. Well, Vicky believes it. She's more of an expert in this sort of thing than I am. She held up a finger to forestall his reply. She also says that in her experience, prophets can only see things they can relate to and understand. She pointed out that there's no mention of CCCP, for instance, and given that the Nazis tried to put a war machine tentacle through Savior's skull, I think you guys are not a small consideration to them. That means that maybe March didn't see everything. Or maybe he only saw what would happen if CCCP didn't factor in as a player here. She shrugged again. Don't know. Don't care. If I go down by God, I'm going down fighting no matter what. John spoke again. Still, that doesn't answer my question. I'm pretty well figured on fighting. The question I asked was what sort and how. The three exchanged glances. And having thought, Savior said slowly, a sharp glance at Hunter. That da, da is so rare for me. You may stop laughing behindhand. Sorceress has prophecy. Sorceress is Bolshevik Computer Greek. Geek, said Bella. Geek, greek, whatever. She is good at getting things, so let her be putting two and two together, and giving us the nose up. Heads up. A haughty air. My English is being perfect. Heads up when she is saying maybe matches. So, it's best plan I can be making with no intelligence to guide. So our only source of intel is to base a course of action off of is this gal, Vicky? He looked to Bella. Anything else we can get out of Echo since they've got a bigger logistics base to work with? Savior snorted. Sorceress is getting into Tesla's own files without him knowing. Alright, so we've got info coming fairly much straight from Echo, but not exactly on the most friendly terms. Once we have something more to go on, what do we do? The CCCP isn't at full strength by any means, and from what I understand, our backing from Russia is grudging at best. Am I right? One sniper in the right spot at the right time, comrade. That was Untermensch, a sardonic smile on his face. That can be all it takes to be changing history. Or prophecy, added Bella. All right, point taken. We can figure out more on what to do when we have something to go on. He sighed, gathering up his jacket. What can a lonely comrade such as myself do to help in the meantime, aside from patrolling and fixing up this joint? What else have soldiers like us ever done? asked Unter, shrugging. The futures were moving again. Seraphim sat in utter stillness in the shelter of a giant air duct, screened from below by the parapet around this roof that was also a garden. It was a strangely soothing place to be, this bit of growth atop the CCCP headquarters. Planted by the twins and the Upir, but designed by Faye Lee, the Seraphim had discovered it a week or so ago, and had taken to giving it some of the same attentions she was giving the neighborhood gardens though this one needed such things far less. Mostly, she just encouraged the plants here to grow, so that they were as lush now as the plantings that were several weeks older. She needed a soothing environment at this moment. C.C.C.P. had learned of the prophecies of Matthew March, and that was changing the shape of what might be. There was still that maddening blank spot where John Murdoch was, but there were new things, new lines, springing into existence, and she had to close her eyes to concentrate on them. If only she could see into that gap. If only she could get some inkling of what it was that John Murdoch represented, so that she could make some kind of a guess as to how to cross that gap to the one set of futures she needed to reach. She was concentrating so hard that for a moment she even lost track of where and when she was. And before she realized it, John himself was next to her, a glass of water instead of a bottle of alcohol in his hand. Evening, Angel. She did not startle or jump as a human would, but her eyes opened wide and she stared at him blankly for a moment. Good evening, she replied, feeling off balance. It is a pleasant evening. John nodded, sipping from his glass. Yeah, skies are clearing up from all the smoke and crap that got thrown into em. He leaned forward against the edge of the roof, looking down into the street. There were a few stragglers waiting in line at the CCCP's soup kitchen, as well as some children playing in the street. Folks are starting to relax again. Ignorance is bliss, I guess. What to say? Anything might reveal too much. John saved Sarah the trouble of attempting to think of something enigmatic enough. Got some news. Suppose you already know some of it. Stuff about a fella named March. The folks downstairs seem to give it credence, and they're a sharp enough bunch. Still, I'm not really given to believing in all that precognitive mystical stuff. He turned to look her in the eyes. Which, given present company, might make me an idiot. Before she could even think, which in her case was less than an instant. It is permitted, breathed into her mind. Her eyes widened. There is not one future, she said, uncharacteristically hesitant. There are many. More than the stars in the galaxy. But not all are equally likely. And some are born, and others die, depending on what is done in the now. He nodded. Still, the experts seem to think this one is legit. A lot of gloom and doom involving. The enemy. Your enemy. The invaders of the broken cross. They conquer all. Those that resist are destroyed. Those that do not are enslaved. And the world ends in fire and death. John raised an eyebrow. You know all about this prophecy already, don't you? He set his water glass down on the ledge to stand up straight and study her face. Yes, I have seen it. I... see the futures. This one ends in what Matthew March could not see because he could not imagine it. She gave him a penetrating look and felt even more unsettled. By him, and not just the absence of him in the futures. Perhaps that is why she told him more than she intended to. The enemy takes its force from this world to spread outward and onward, and since this world is but a a launching pad, it suffers the fate of such an object. When they are gone, there is nothing you would recognize that is left. She listened. There was no rebuke, so this too was permitted. Hmm. Commissar, Bella, and some gal named Vicky all seem to think that's cause they weren't counting on the CCC being. Well, us. They've all gone to some mighty efforts to take us out, and we're still kicking. Something about him made her want to tell him things. She trusted that the Infinite would tell her when to stop at this point. Mortals are limited in what they may see. Their minds. She shook her head. Those who have seen only a fraction of what we may, the siblings, have gone mad. And they are limited by what they know. If they do not know of a thing, generally, they cannot see the future that it contains. She took a slow breath. Matthew March could not see you. Nor can I. She wondered if he would remember that. John shook his head. Still sounds fuzzy through and through if you ask me. Whatever the case may be concerning the futures, our bunch is aiming to do what they were going to do anyways. fight. Figure out how to hit back at the Nazis, get proactive instead of reactive. Rebuilding is all and well and damned necessary, but reacting to a threat isn't nearly as productive as eliminating it at the source. Those fascists sure as hell had to come from somewhere. John's gaze drifted back to the street. Speaking of rebuilding, I meant to tell you, thanks, you know, for helping out around the neighborhood. Subtle, but I figured I knew what to look for after a while. That startled a smile from her, and she felt heat in her cheeks. You are... welcome. She felt impelled to explain. There is so very much I am not permitted to do, or to say... It is a joy to find things, even small ones, that I am. She took a deep breath. I am not permitted to change the futures. Only mortals may do that. Well, every bit counts. A lot of the folks in the neighborhood are looking to change their own future. About the only good thing that came from the invasion was folks banding together, for the most part. when they band together for the support of one another and not to prey upon one another. But yours are good people. They have chosen well. She blinked once. You say nothing about what I just told you. That I am not permitted to change the futures, though I see them. John's lopsided grin broke out over his face, and he began to laugh. Why do you laugh? Sarah, look at it like this. I'm not even sure if and I believe in what you are. You think anyone would really listen to a dude spouting off about angels and the futures, prophecy and so on? He shook his head again, still humoring her with his smile. I imagine they've still got plenty of padded rooms that they wouldn't mind throwing me in for that sort of thing. And money isn't very good in Craze Street Preaching nowadays. She blinked again. Religions have been started on less, she reminded him. But I had in mind the more personal... There are those who do believe I am what I am that are offended that I do not respond to what they want. When someone is told that a sibling can see the futures, they generally only want to know their own. You haven't much to fear for me, Sarah. After all, I wouldn't want to scare off my guardian angel. That flustered her. And that was a very new feeling. Why... Why do you call me that? Had he noticed? Noticed that she had been protecting him? I assume that you're not exactly everywhere at once, and since there can't be a shortage of things for you to do, it'd seem you spend more than my fair share of time talking with me. He coughed hard a few times, Taking another drink of his water and clearing his throat. You. you interest me. I talk with others, but you interest me. He chuckled again. Feign my heart, I thought I was just a dumb country boy that liked guns a little too much. He turned to face the roof access. You're not bad company yourself, Angel. Even better, I can understand your English. Some of the new folks we've got from Moscow don't know a lick, or got such thick accents I've got to try to not laugh. For the first time ever, she laughed. It surprised her so much that she did it again. It was an intriguing and delightful sensation. John cocked his head to the side before walking to the roof access. Well, there's something new. I'll get you later, Sarah. Back to the salt mines for now. Though calling it the gulag may be more appropriate. He disappeared down the passage of light coming through the doorframe, waving over his shoulder with his free hand as he left. She gazed after him, examining this most remarkable interlude. The things he had evoked from her. Not only the futures were changing, she was changing. And there was a change in him as well-a lightening of the darkest parts of his spirit-the sense that there might be some hope, some optimism in him now. He was still a cynic, but-not as bitter. This was what she had hoped for. Whatever lay on the other side of that blank ahead could not come from a john Murdock who was bitter and in despair. With that thought she was reminded of her duty. She closed her eyes and settled herself in stillness, and began sifting through a billion, billion futures. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by authors Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, and Dennis Lee, read and produced by Veronica Jaguar, featuring music by Antara Bay, investigating the Phantom Signal, courtesy of musicalley.com.